You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin, Chris Budden filling in for Spain and Fitz on this Thursday evening. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Let's tap in now with Bobby Marks, ESPN NBA front office insider, joining us here on Spain and Fitz. Some unfortunate news for Chet Holmgren. He has a Liz Frank injury. He's going to miss the entire 2022-23 season. And he sustained this injury in a pro-am event. Bobby, is this going to be the end of NBA players being able to be in pro-am leagues because of an injury of this magnitude affecting a top pick this season? I don't think so. I mean, I think, you know, the pro-ams have been going on for a long time. Uh, this event was on the list of sanctioned events by the by the NBA here. I think it's certainly, you know, it's it's highlighted because of the players who were there. Um, certainly the Drew League also here. Um, you know, there is the risk because you're not playing in an NBA-type arena. Um, you're basically playing in a high school gym, and you saw the – you know, the condensation that came about that had to you know cancel the game. I think during the middle of the second quarter here. So I, I don't I don't think there is. I mean, Holmgren asked for permission. He was given it by Oklahoma City. I, I do think you, you know, I think you do have to be careful if you're the player. You kind of have to know what you're walking into here. Um, it's interesting. There was you know there's a couple guys, you know, Scotty Barnes and Kyle Kuzma, who played in a pro am that was not sanctioned by the NBA. So that's where you kind of run the risk of. You know, if there's an injury, you potentially could forfeit, you know, your your contract moving forward here. So we've got a new, potentially new CBA that will be in effect. Uh, maybe there are some minor tweaks to it regarding some of these pro-ams, but um, it's just, as you said, it's an unfortunate injury. You know, he steps on LeBron's foot, uh, and that results in him being out for the year. Bobby, you said that he asked for permission. How does this usually work if a player either wants to play any sanctioned or non-sanctioned pro-am in terms of either getting permission or something signed? Is is that always required for them? Yeah, always required. I mean, if it's if it's not a uh, if it's an unsanctioned league like the one that was out in, in Utah that. Um, that Scotty Barnes has played in, then you know he you basically you're not allowed to play it. You shouldn't, you know, you you don't even have to ask for, for permission here. But they they played. We'll see if there's any you know you know domino effect to that here. So, and but yeah, I mean, I, I was actually I was talking with Jeff Wexler, who's Jason Tatum's agent. Tatum played in this pro am, and he said like I called Jason. I said you better you know we better call Boston and get permission here to go out and play in this here. And uh, they did. The Celtics, you know, approved him playing in here. So there is a there is a protocol as far as from a player's perspective, as far as going about. And I know there you know, there's certainly the risk here, right? You don't you're not in a, an environment where you're controlling it. Um, you're not in your own practice facility. We're not in Vegas for summer league here, where it's a little bit different here. Uh, but when you go into one of these pro ams, and as I said, in a high school gym, um, there there is going to be the you know the injury factor to kind of to weigh. We're talking with Bobby Marks, ESPN NBA front office insider here on Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin, Chris Budden sitting in for Sarah and Jason. So the Oklahoma City Thunder won 46 games over the last two seasons. They draft Chet Holmgren number two overall. How does this affect their outlook for this season? Because, you know, when I'm looking at this, it feels like it's an, another excuse for them to tank because they were so hopeful that that young core that they had with Holmgren, Josh Giddy, and SGA, among a bunch of other players, would have helped them turn things in the right direction. But how do you think this affects them in the short term? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm going to be interested in to see where this team is, and you know, I guess we're maybe mid-January here because you're right. There's been you know two years of kind of not finishing the season with whether it be Shea Gildress Alexander or Josh Giddy as far as your main guys here, and and really kind of going you know I guess player development 101. I mean, this is still a very very young team. Um, they're not in a position to compete for a, probably not even a playing spot. They're probably one or two years away here. So anytime you have a number two pick, uh, you know, a top two pick that goes down, you would want him on, on the court here. So it's interesting, you know, Gildas Alexander is about to go into year two of this five-year, um, that, that rookie extension that he signed. Like, when does it get to the point with him saying, you know what, this is probably not what I signed up for. Um, you know, I, you know, when does he raise his hand and say, you know, maybe I am the next guy who maybe wants out or where's the, what's the timeline here? Because as you, as you mentioned, like we are probably in another year of rebuilding here. We are probably in another year of we're going to be winning 18 and 19 games here in Oklahoma city here. So that's certainly something to, to keep an eye on. And, you know, we'll see, I mean, Victor Wembley on the, you know, the seven, three player from France is as a, a, a generational player, you know, does, you know, Oklahoma City really go young and, and focus on their younger players for the second half of the season. So that's probably what I'm focusing in on with the, with the funder here as far as in a third year of probably not finishing with, you know, your core guys. Bobby, let's head out west. The Lakers have been busy over the last two or so weeks. They get LeBron's deal done. They make a trade today with the Jazz to get Patrick Beverly. First of all, what did you think of the trade and how does he fit in with the pieces that are in, in Los Angeles? Yeah, you know, Patrick Beverly's like that football coach that goes to these, like, downtrodden franchises and fix them up in, like, one or two years, and now they're a playoff team, and then he leaves, right, or he's traded. Um, and that, and that's the, you know, that's what he's done, right? I mean, basically the, um, you know, what he can contribute on the court in the locker room here kind of gives them, you know, that defensive minded toughness. I think it will give them an identity that's probably been lacking, um, with, with the Lakers here. Um, so I understand it and, and that and it fits the timeline because he's on an expiring contract. The, the Westbrook dynamic is going, I think that's something that we're all going to be interested in here. And as far as I, I think you've seen, I guess, Beverly, probably over the last couple of hours, to try to ex- extend somewhat of an olive branch to, to Westbrook here. Um, you know, we all know the bad blood that's there. Um, we know that there's a lot of dislike um, as far as, you know, between the two players, uh, what occurred on the court here. And now it's going to be, what does Westbrook do? Does he accept? Does he, you know, for a guy who knows who they're trying to trade him, um, does he probably put his hard feelings for the betterment of the team, or does he kind of draw a line, a line in the sand here with, with Beverly here? So I think that's that's the, the big thing that I'm going to be interested in when we get going to with, with training camp, but, you know, with Russell Westbrook and Patrick Beverly as far as how those two fit. Bobby Marks, ESPN NBA front office insider, joins Courtney Cronin and Chris Budden here on Spain and Fitz. So we had six weeks of waiting and waiting <laughs> and waiting and nothing <laughs> happened with Kevin Durant. He requests a trade away from Brooklyn and he ends up deciding that he's going to be moving forward with the Nets organization this season. So where do we go from here in the rest of the off season? Cause I know we've got a few more weeks before things start kicking up into high gear. How let's start with the Nets on this side. Like what's, what is the dynamic now for them knowing that they keep KD in the fold? Like it's the uncertainty still shift around Kyrie or Ben Simmons. Like where do you go from there with the Nets? 
The Tyree situation is fascinating for me. You know, we've kind of we've, we've put a Band-Aid on a Durant, um, you know, trade request um, for a lease now. Kyrie is interesting just because he's on this expiring contract. And what happens if Kyrie Irving gets off to a great start and plays his butt off and is all NBA? What does Brooklyn do now, right? Do you go out and extend him? And if you don't extend him and you let him walk maybe to the Lakers next offseason, um, then what does Durant revisit wanting to, to be asked out here? So, I mean, I think there's so many unanswered questions here with Brooklyn. What's the health of Ben Simmons? You know, certainly is, has Durant fully bought in. I mentioned Kyrie. I mean, Joe Harris, the list goes on and on. And I just think – I do think them putting out a press release on, uh, I guess it was Monday here, probably does put a Band-Aid on it because we won't be hearing about Memphis or Boston or Phoenix or Toronto or some of these other teams. And with training camp, yeah, I guess, a month away here, that was something they were going to have to deal with, right? Either was Durant was not going to show up or he was going to show up and maybe be a disruption here. And I guess for right now, we can kind of put that to bed. All right, there you have it. So I guess we move forward with the Brooklyn side of things. Get to see, we'll get to see what more comes out of the NBA offseason. Just a couple more weeks until training camp kicks into high gear, and I guess we're all expecting that Kevin Durant will show up on time and be a part of the Brooklyn Nets this season. He is Bobby Marks, ESPN NBA front office insider, joining us here on Spain and Fitz. Bobby, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Coming up next, Tom Brady will suit up for the Bucks' final preseason game this weekend. But is that the right decision? We'll go through that and more when we go through our NFL training camp whip around. This is Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin and Chris Budding filling in on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Two weeks from right now, we will have real, live NFL action on our TV. Tonight, I guess we have to settle for the third preseason game right now going on between the Green Bay Packers and the Kansas City Chiefs later tonight, Texans and 49ers. But real football is on the horizon, so we have a lot to be excited about. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Courtney Cronin, Chris Budden sitting in for Sarah and Jason. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. So we've got roster cut down day on August 30th, which means training camp, which is over for all teams. Now shifts to the preseason, so we've got a couple more days of preseason action. So let's whip around this uh, in training camp fashion, what we've done all offseason long, bringing in our producer, Devin Kane, to go through some of the big headlines of the day. Let's start in Cincinnati, Devin. Um, can you explain the mess that we saw between the Bengals and the Rams? We had a brawl. Aaron <laughs> Donald was involved in a helmet-swinging brawl that canceled the rest of the practice between the Rams and the Bengals today. And the the attention turned to if any sort of punishment should be levied against Aaron Donald. Here's our Adam Schefter on what the NFL could do. The league's stance is this. Clubs are responsible for overseeing the conduct of their own players at practice, including joint practices between two teams like the one today between the Bengals and the Rams. So any discipline... That would be handed down against the Rams defensive tackle, Aaron Donald, would have to come from the Rams themselves. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that the Rams <laughs> are not going to suspend Aaron Donald for their season opening game two weeks from tonight <laughs> against the Buffalo Bills and that Aaron Donald is expected to play in the regular season opener. I don't think the Rams will take that drastic of an action against their all-world defensive linemen. So, Courtney... We, we don't think the Rams are going to suspend Aaron Donald, but should there be a fine levied against him at least? 
Oh, 100%. And I know that the NFL can't step in here because of what the rule is. And I don't know. Maybe this is egregious enough that they're able to change what the NFL's jurisdiction is over these joint practices. If this was anybody not named Aaron Donald or Jalen Ramsey or Bobby Wagner, like name another star on this star-studded team. If this is a guy on the bubble, Chris, he's cut immediately and he's left in Cincinnati when the team goes back to LA after this third preseason game we make excuses for our stars and I feel like at the very least if they're not going to punish him in the in the form of missing games which of course they're not going to they need to fine him quite a bit of money because that could have again no one got hurt during this thing I don't know how but they absolutely could this could have been catastrophic given who was you know, in possession of these helmets and whacking other people in the head with them. But why is the punishment debating whether or not someone actually got injured? The punishment should be based on the act, not the effect of if he actually made contact with someone's bare skull. I'm also confused on why, why and when the rules of the NFL jurisdiction. So if Aaron Donald was walking down the sidewalk, happened to have his helmet in his hand and whacks a complete pedestrian walking and causes them to go to the hospital and he gets arrested, then that would be up to the NFL to be able, but because, or if this was in a game, but because this was at a practice, which also involved another team, I feel like the NFL should be able to say like, there are guidelines and you cross those boundaries and because you can't, can't leave it up to the team. You can't leave it up to Sean McVay to say, you're right. Bill's week one. We, we really want you sitting on the bench or not in our game. Yeah, like there's no way they're going to suspend him and he's going to have a lofty fine and it shouldn't be up to the coach or the ownership to make that decision because at the end of the day, that's a huge game starting off the season. They're not going to want their best defensive players sitting on the bench. Now, a lot of people are going to compare this to the Miles Garrett situation when he whacked Mason Rudolph in the head and Mason Rudolph didn't have a helmet on at that point. So that was... Um, or I think it knocked his helmet off. It was such a vicious hit, and and Miles Garrett got suspended six games. So it matters during a game. If you're to your point, if like this happened, you know, outside of football, that'd be a violation of the personal conduct policy uh, more often than not, and he could be suspended for that. But I just the whole notion of joint practices and that it's in the you know the the field of play this is happening so we allow it for some reason doesn't make sense to me and I, I think this is going to be really interesting to see if the league does respond and how the Rams do respond because maybe the league does want to see something happen because we've seen fights in joint practices we've not seen something like this to this degree all right Devin what do we got next all right so up next we got another joint practice between the Dolphins and the Eagles and we can't really talk about what happened on the field today because there was a stomach bug and practice was canceled going around Miami locker room so let's look ahead to the season a little bit when you look at the Eagles Chris should they be the favorites to win the NFC East Uh, I think they should now that we heard the news about Tyron Smith I should also say it should have been practice or canceled As someone who has children that are often sick, let me tell you, the stomach bug is about as contagious as anything else you can get. It is also extremely gross and takes you out for three days. So there is no chance that I would want to be anywhere near a locker room with the stomach bug, and I would be chugging Welch's grape juice. It reminded me, my first year covering the NFL back in 2013, I had to cover a team that MRSA had gone through the locker room. 
And I was like, I don't really want to be down on the field shaking hands, interviewing a team that has, like, been infected with MRSA. But, yes, even before the Tyrone Smith stuff came out, I thought the Eagles were my pick to win the NFC East. This coming from the Cowboys fan in me that um, I'm just – I'm never sold. I'm never sold. I get it. Mike McCarthy's 18 and 15. Like, it's – And, obviously, they lost so many pieces from their receiving core. And then they don't have guys like Michael Gallup yet who's still on the pup list. And, you know, all the injuries on the offensive line and new pieces on the offensive line. I don't know how you can be completely optimistic on this team unless you expect them to run the ball 30 times a game, which they very well might. We heard Jerry Jones talk about Ezekiel Elliott's in the best shape of his life. And, you know, they've got Pollard if they're not able to rely on Zeke. And, I mean, yeah, that's a lot that can take pressure off of Dak Prescott. But in the end, how does this team deliver? Because – everything has gone wrong for them ever since the offseason started. And so I think Philly's a very safe bet to win the NFC East. And I was actually just looking at some of the um, the amount of money that's come in for Philadelphia. They've received the most money to finish with the NFL's best record in 2022. So betters are very high on Philly this season, and rightfully so. I think they will win the NFC East. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin, Chris Budden filling in for Sarah and Jason. Got time probably for one more here. What do we got? Yeah, let's get one more in, and we can expand on this later if we don't get it all in. But former Bears offensive coordinator Mike Martz ranked the quarterback in the NFC North, placed Justin Fields fourth on that list. He also said that he believes that Fields has been set up by for failure by the by the Bears. You know, this has been a story with the Bears all season long. Courtney, you cover them. Can we get a true evaluation of Fields this season with his supporting cast around him? Nope, you sure can't, but you can damn sure believe that they're not as bad as that 0-16 Lions team. I think that's unfair (laughs) uh, to say about players like Darnell Mooney, like Cole Komet, Um, and even with Fields. I don't think Fields – He's in the worst situation of any of the young quarterbacks, these guys who are in their second year. I think that that's fair, but to say that this team is worse offensively than the 0-16 Lions, Chris, I'm not really sure I believe that. Do you, but um, I don't think that they've set him up for success. Correct, and we will definitely be getting into this at the end part of the show because the national narrative is they're a trash team, and I think that you've got to look at it on a day-to-day basis um, and actually like be in camp to truly evaluate where this team is going and where it is right now. Coming up next, the New York Giants and the New York Jets had a joint practice today. There was no brawl there, but still a lot to discuss and some unfortunate injuries for the G-Men. ESPN Giants reporter Jordan Ronan joining us next. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Has anyone had worse injury luck in preseason training camp, what have you, than the New York Giants? In the matter of a week, Kayvon Thibodeau, goes down with an injury to his MCL that's going to keep him out three to four weeks. They lose receiver Colin Johnson to a to an Achilles injury. And then Aziz Ojolari suffers a calf injury. Apparently it's not serious, but he could miss some practice time while he is healing up from that injury. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Courtney Cronin, Chris Button, welcoming in Jordan Ron on ESPN Giants reporter, joining us here on ESPN Radio. So tell me about the updates on these injuries, Jordan. I just listed off three. Are there any more that have happened in the time since I listed all of those? Because it feels like you cover the unluckiest team in terms of what's happened so far yeah. in the training camp. They've certainly been up there. It's not just training camp for like, I don't know. I mean, I've been there since 2013. It's really been a problem for a while now. Uh, I remember we. I remember in twenty 
13 and 14, we were talking about this, how the Giants have some of the most injuries, and it's really kind of carried over to the last couple of years as well now. So the problem is, like, most of the guys you just named, Colin Johnson obviously is lost for the season tore his Achilles. Uh, but Kayvon Thibodeau, and then you throw in Aziz Ojolari, so that's basically both their starting outside linebackers and top pass rushers. Uh, you know, now questionable for week one. Uh, you, you throw that in there, and there's just so many guys with, like, minor injuries. It's a sheer number of guys that make it. Like, last week the Giants had trouble fielding a second-team offensive line. Like, they didn't even try to have, like, a third-team offensive line. Like, that was out of the question. So, you know, it's more like, can we get enough of these guys healthy and back for week one? Because Kadarius Toney has a minor injury. He's struggling. Darius Slayton, so those two wide receivers – Sterling Shepard's just coming back from a, a torn Achilles. He practiced for the first time yesterday. Now you have three wide receivers. Okay, are they, when are they going to be fully healthy? Several offensive linemen. We just named the outside linebackers. You just keep adding and adding and adding to the group. It makes a lot of problems for the Giants. Just wonder, hey, can they stay healthy? Because their biggest problem this season is probably uh, how much depth does this roster really have? And can they afford it? to overcome any injuries, forget the number of injuries I just mentioned. Well, at least they came out of it with no brawls. No one sounds seriously injured. For a team that lacks the depth and all the injuries, I would maybe stay away from the joint practices. You mentioned having Sterling Shepard out there coming off the Achilles injury. What's the expectation for him and his timetable? Yeah, I mean, he actually did more than I thought he would in his first practice yesterday. Now, granted, today they kind of said, okay, why don't we pull back a little bit and we're not going to throw him out there in a joint practice. He's just yet. But I think that Sterling Shepard being ready by round week one is not out of the question. I do think it's among the possibilities. So, like, uh, that obviously would help. Uh, but, again, you're probably you're talking about a limited workload for him because he just tore his kids. I think it was eight eight months and something like 12 days or somewhere right around that. Like since he tore his Achilles, he's back on the field and practice, which is amazing that these guys nowadays get back so quick from the Achilles. We saw it with Cam Akers on the, on the Rams as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I I do think that seeing him back week one, at least in some role is possible. I don't think you're going to see Sterling Shepard out there playing, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 snaps in, in a game early in the season. But uh, playing, I, I think, you know, which is a good thing for this team because they need weapons for Daniel Jones. He has a chance to be back. We're talking with Jordan Ron on ESPN, Giants reporter here on Spain and Fitz. Let's talk about Daniel Jones. We know that he had a strong day and looked pretty good against the Jets defense. Is yeah, it possible that going up against what Wink Martindale is bringing to the team is making it easier for Daniel Jones, all those exotic pressures that we've seen in these preseason games. Like, is that helping him in what he could potentially see this season? Yeah, I do. I do think so. I think, you know, what we saw from Daniel Jones earlier this summer and like, you know, the up and down days, there were some days where it was pretty ugly. I mean, it was a couple of days, two out of like four days where he was like completing like five out of 15, five out of 16, which I don't care what you're trying to accomplish at practice. That's not very good. But I think that was all part of what was should be expected going against, A, a blitzing defense that's super aggressive. And they're, remember, they're installing a new offense again. Like the fourth one, by the way, since Daniel Jones has, Jones has become the starting quarterback for the Giants. So uh, 
I'm sorry, fourth offensive coordinator at least since he he's been the the starting quarterback for the Giants. So you know, my bold prediction going into training camp was the defense was going to dominate most of the summer, and I think that was the case because they're installing that new offense. This is an aggressive defense. It's going to take him time to learn this offense. It, it takes longer for you to learn an offense than defense, but. I think what we've seen is a nice progression. He certainly looks more comfortable. It's, he said he feels more comfortable. And you're seeing the results on the field. And I think you saw that today when they went against – this was the first time, by the way, that he faced another team's first-team defense because in the first two preseason games, the Patriots and the Bengals, neither of them played their starters. So this was a good sort of litmus test to see where Daniel Jones and the offense is. And the results were pretty good. And in the preseason, he's also completing 77% of his passes. So – I don't know how you can complain much about what a guy's doing when they're completing almost 80% of their passes. What's the, I feel like every question I'm going to ask you is injury related, but for Kadarius, Tony <laughs> to coming off like this oh, right leg injury and so much hype around him. How did he look today? Well, you didn't see much of Kadarius, Tony again, because guess what? You never see much of Kadarius, Tony. I mean, the guy is a total enigma. Uh, he had off season, knee surgery and now he's dealing with another right leg injury you see him grabbing at his hamstring but he's like doing very little at every practice and really the the, the, the problem with Kadarius Tony it's certainly not the talent when he's out there and he's able to go 100% and participate you could tell that this is this guy could be a major player in this league but it's so few and far between when you see that I mean, it's always like, oh, there's Kadarius Tony. He he ran a little bit. That's the end of his day. He's standing at the back of every line. He sneaks in a, a rep every once every ten minutes. He's like the the kid at school who's always just trying to blend in, like where you don't see him. Like that's what it seems like. And he's like the last guy in line every time to do a drill. Like there's just so much about this guy that just makes you scratch your head, and you're like, man, when are we going to see this guy actually play and actually it seemingly you know, work hard and, and, like, be able to do everything. And it just – it hasn't been this summer. It didn't wasn't the case last year. I mean, he was in and out constantly with – I mean, you name it. He wore the wrong cleats one time. He got COVID <laughs> twice. He was injured. I mean, shoulder – I think it was, I believe, his shoulder, knee, uh, abs. I mean, you name it. Like, ankle. It, it's like a little bit of everything with this guy. And you just, I don't know. Until you see, until you see it, I guess you just can't believe it at this point. Yeah, he might release his fourth mixtape before he ends up uh, <laughs> making contributions to this Giants Joker, team. Joker, Joker. Yeah, right. he's he's already got three. I remember they were playing his music. I believe I saw one of your your tweets from earlier in uh, training camp that maybe it was Brian Dable extending an olive branch because of how Kadarius Tony felt uh, from the last staff and showing you are wanted, you are welcomed, but it doesn't sound like that work ethic um, and also maybe just the the ability for him to be that guy for the Giants has shown up just yet in training camp. Jordan Ronan, ESPN Giants nope. reporter, joining us here on Spain and Fitz. Okay, so given all the injuries we've talked about with this Giants team, and fortunately mm -hmm. they made it through joint practices without seeing any sort of fights to at least a scale that the Rams and the Bengals had. Yeah. But or guys throwing their helmets at people yeah. like that. Yeah, using, using their helmets, using their helmets yeah. as weapons. <laughs> That's always um, it's a great it's a great way, a use of time. But is there any indication from Brian Dable on whether the starters are going to play in this final preseason game on Sunday? Yeah, see, here's the thing. I think Brian Dable wants to play the starters on Sunday. 
But because of the sheer number of injuries, it's going to be a question and he mulls over. And I think he might ultimately change his mind. Because, like, let's say he wants to play as starters, right? But they didn't want to play Saquon in the last preseason game because they don't have much depth at running back. Just keep him on ice, right? Now you're talking about, okay, Shepard, you're probably not going to play him in a preseason game. Tony's banged up. Darius Slayton's banged up. So, like, what, what is – and a couple offensive linemen are banged up. So, what's the use of playing Daniel Jones at that point and, the, and most of the rest of the starters? So, I think that's the dilemma. That is the dilemma that he actually faced last week. He decided to play the, the starters for the most part. Uh, and I think he's going to have to face again this week. So, I think – I don't know. I'm leaning towards – he might not want to risk it against the Jets, especially if they had, were able to have destroyed practice and get in some good work against another team this week. But yeah, I don't know. Sense. He's a guy. He's a coach who wants to play this. You know, Bill, he's really a Bill Belichick kind of guy. He was there for most of his career. Bill Belichick likes to play his guys generally. He has at least over the course of time. Uh, I remember watching Tom Brady, even though he was suspended, play on, like more than like a half with like third and fourth stringers right before his suspension. I was like. Man, Bill Belichick is crazy, and uh, but you know Brian Dable does come from that tree, so wants to see his guys play. Jets and Giants coming your way on Sunday, wrapping up preseason week three action. Mercifully, it is over, and we are on to the regular season in Thank just God. a couple weeks. <laughs> he is Jordan Ron on ESPN Giants reporter, joining Courtney Cronin and Chris Budden here on Spain and Fitz. As always, appreciate the time. Thank you, Jordan. You got it. You guys have a great – you girls have a great show. Thanks, Ryan. All right, coming up next, got a few things to get through before we get out of here. We'll catch you caught up on the stories you might have missed when we go through quickies. That's next, Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Courtney Cronin, Chris Budden filling in for Sarah and Jason on this Thursday evening. Preseason football underway right now. We've got Green Bay and Kansas City. 7-3 Packers at the end of the first quarter. Actually, we're um, about two minutes into the second quarter of action. 49ers-Texans. Houston has a 7-0 lead on the 49ers just nearing the end of the first quarter. Those two games uh, kicking off Thursday night's preseason slate. The only two that we'll see tonight. Followed by Bills-Panthers tomorrow. Seahawks-Cowboys. Chargers-Saints. Patriots Raiders and then a couple more throughout the weekend we don't need to go through all of those because we still have plenty to get to here on Spain and Fitz and whenever we've got a whole lot to get to but don't have a whole lot of time we whip through the headlines just like this Quickies is brought to you by Boost Mobile, a proud sponsor of the 2022 Department of Defense Warrior Games. With Boost Mobile, feel the power of more money in your pocket on one of America's largest 5G networks. Okay, so we'll start here, Chris. I'm going to tee up on this one. Uh, Novak Djokovic, he is not vaccinated against COVID-19, and he withdrew from the U.S. Open because he cannot travel to the United States. So, yes, while many of us feel like things have gone back to normal, more or less, there are still COVID protocols here uh, in place. So what do you make of him withdrawing, and, and how do you think this affects the men's field? Yeah, I mean, he's known this um, for a very long time. I think that they were hoping that the New York City – uh, would allow him to play or that the the country would allow him um, as well. It, it's massive ramifications in the history of tennis. He is one Grand Slam behind Rafael Nadal. And this isn't the first Grand Slam that he's had to miss because he's unvaccinated. 
like if you look like I know that we can't say if COVID had never happened, but like, let's say it hadn't, or if he had gotten vaccinated, like how we view the goats of tennis will be forever changed because of that decision. He could have two or three more grand slams. And at the end of the day, it might be Rafael Nadal who sits and holds the crown. If he wins this one, then he's a two in front of him. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's in terms of tennis history, it's made pretty huge ramifications. Yeah. Definitely sounds like we're going to be missing something from the men's field. And, and to your point, um, it's if he would have just I mean, if he would have gotten vaccinated, we're not talking about this. And it's I always tie everything back to the NFL because that's my wheelhouse. It's interesting now where all the rules there have been peeled back. So if you are a player who wasn't vaccinated, chose not to get vaccinated last season, your status isn't affected one way or the other. Now, we are talking international travel and a mandate in the city of New York that's different than other places, but certainly feels like it's going to affect the U.S. Open uh, since he can't travel to the United States. Next. All right, Serena Williams is going to face world number 80, Danka Kovinic at the the U.S. Open, uh, during the U.S. Open, which starts next week. The draw was announced today. This is going to be the last tournament for Serena throughout her career, 23-time Grand Slam champion. And so if she beats Kovanovic, she would face number two seed uh, from Estonia in the second round. Play begins Monday, first round matches uh, Monday and Tuesday. Does Serena, I I know that she's done this thing, Chris, where she kind of like parachutes in at this point of her career and, you know, plays here, plays there, and, and it hasn't really worked out for her, like, what is, you know tennis better than me. What does this match, uh, this first-round matchup, like, do for her? Is it yeah, a tough I think one? She'll, she'll be fi- I think she'll be fine. I mean, it's the fact that she, you know, has to face the two-seed and Anna Kotovic, uh, Kotovic coming right after that. She's been dealing with injuries for the last year and a half, and uh, her body has just caught up to her, and... You know, she, she didn't get very far in Cincinnati, which is the warm-up up to the U.S. Open. I do feel like, though, that like she is all in. She hired Renee Stubbs, who she has played against as her coach. Her very well-known coach, Patrick Mortoglu, has so many other players that he's also involved with uh, at the U.S. Open. So she, the fact that she has, like, basically brought on Renee Stubbs, who is also one of our ESPN analysts, as her private coach for this U.S. Open, uh, the the – The place is going to be electric, a nighttime match. And they haven't announced the times of each match, but I got to assume that they're going to put her in a night match in Flushing Meadows. That place is going to be incredible because as soon as it announced that she was retiring, tickets were going for tens of thousands. Yeah, I was, I remember looking at them just to see what they were going to be, just to be able to get into, but she'll be on the main court. She'll be on Arthur Ashe court, I would assume next week. And, you know, that's a big place, but, and there are a lot of seats, but those are going to be the hottest ticket in New York to be able to see her retire potentially. And this, you know, being her last matchup for the 23 time grand slam champion, Spain and Fitz ESPN radio ESPN app. What's next? All right, former Bears offensive coordinator Mike Martz ranked the quarterbacks in the NFC North on the via the 33rd team, um, and he placed Justin Fields fourth on that list. Okay, that's understandable. But he also said he believes that Fields has been set up for failure and that this is the worst offense he's seen since the 0-16 Lions. Um, 
I'm just going to let you rant. I just Give us your feels. You're there every day. I think the hard thing for someone who is there every day is that the national narrative, so to speak, around this team is that there is no plan, that they didn't do enough around Justin Fields, that he is in the worst situation of any of these five first-round quarterbacks from a year ago, um, and that the Bears are not going to contend this year. Some of that is true, but to expect that this team I, I just don't know what people were expecting for a group that had to undo so much from the previous regime I mean there's a reason that they let you know double digit free agents go back in March and they tried to rebuild here and this is a long process I don't I, I just I can't when you yeah. when you hear people just like dunking on the Bears left and right yeah obviously it's not going to be it's not projected to be a great winning season I think that some of the moves that they made show you that they're going in this for the long haul. But to say that they're the Owens, worse than the Owens 16 Lions, I think is just so far-fetched because of the talent that they do have on this team. Certainly they need more around Justin Fields, but Darnell Mooney's a great player. Cole Komet's a great player. Um, you know, Roquan Smith is back this year, playing out the final year of his deal. And I just think that there's – it's just a short-sighted way to view this team. But I do think that he is not in a great situation to succeed. I will, I will go ahead and, you know, agree with that part. But we, we do see this a lot about these top quarterbacks. I mean, there, there's a reason that the top quarterbacks go to the worst teams, and sometimes they're just mm-hmm. not built to develop them right. I've worked with a lot of analysts uh, at ESPN and other places that – former quarterbacks that say, when we, we got to the league, like, the, the teaching is done. And you better figure out how to fit into the system. And so I really hope that uh, moving forward, they put Fields in a position to be able to thrive. Because if not, it becomes, you know, we see a lot of time, long-term detrimentals for their career and development. Yeah. Unfortunate. Um, but we do know that this season is, is going to be what it is. And we probably won't know uh, about the answer around Justin Fields following this uh, 2022 year. Bears are going to be playing their starters up until the first half in the preseason finale at Cleveland this weekend. Freddie and Fitzsimmons coming up next. The entire Bears team is going to actually join Ian and Freddie on Freddie and Fitzsimmons. This has been Spain and Fitz, Chris Budd and Courtney Cronin. Filling in for Sarah and Jason, have a lovely evening. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.